Okay. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about uh, a favorite of mine, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's 2013 uh, Gravity. This is the uh, Isaac Newton biography film, right? The biopic. <laughs> it's like a period piece. Right, right. Um, I, I, you know, I, uh, I did not know that they were making this. Like that, this kind of escaped my attention. And the first thing I really heard about this was uh, I saw a trailer for it before the movie, and just kind of completely forgot about the other movie that I was there to see, and spent the whole time thinking about the trailer to Gravity. Did you see it in the theater? No, but do you know why you didn't? I know why you didn't hear about it because they started making it in 1973 <laughs> and it took them that long to until get it, it was done. done. Yeah, they were making, I mean, they've been making this movie. I think he was in high school when he started and he's like 60. Well, it took him years and years and years just to get the rights to the space shuttle and the ISS and film there. I know. And then the, <laughs> right. <laughs> they had to wait till the right, shuttles and- were being decommissioned so they could actually wreck one. They had to fly Clooney up there in, in stages. <laughs> right. And, you know, Clooney only goes first class. <laughs> um, uh, this is a really easy one to summarize. <laughs> you want to do the summary? Sure. Uh, spacewalking scientist slash astronaut, uh, major disaster with debris, then two people survive in the immediate disaster and try to survive and get back to Earth. There you go. There and you that's go. the entire movie. And it's basically the, the movie, the main part of the movie is about Sandra Bullock overcoming multiple hardships. To get home. To get home. You gotta, I guess right. you got to throw that part in. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of good things you can say about should this we movie. Spoil, should we spoil the ending by eh. saying? I mean, it's 2013. No. <laughs> People know. <laughs> right so she does get home but no! it, you're never <laughs> but you're never really sure though they do keep you in suspense i would say that this is not one of those movies where you think like yeah it's definitely gonna this is gonna be a happy ending well and there's it, the never, film is just lost 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 all along the way for yeah. her um you know and and they really kind of start off by sort of like punching you right between the eyes with that opening scene which is 13 minutes um and it's right, basically scene. yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if it's exactly one continuous shot but it's one continuous scene um and, right. and i think the credits come after that um but yeah i don't think there are any credits to the end of the movie no i i think that there's something right at the beginning i'm pretty sure after the opening scene you get this like a black screen that says gravity um and uh but that's the only peaceful scene, more or less. Well, no, 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 because that includes the the loss of the shuttle and the uh, right. Um, but I was saying, I'm pretty sure. Sh- no, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's uh, a screen card after that scene, and then you get back to the movie. I mean, though, like the beginning is the only part of the movie that has it's the the there's normalcy in the beginning for a few minutes to set everything up, right? To sort of show that they're you know they're working through their checklist and the work is sort of slow and tedious, despite the fact that it's at you know two hundred and fifty miles up, right? Um, and uh, we only ever really see three people in this movie, right? We see George Clooney, we see Sandra Bullock, and we see the other astronaut uh, and. Uh, brief brief bits before and after he's killed and we actually get to look through his skull 
Um, right. And then we hear Ed Harris, who they they got, you know, they straight from Apollo 13 as the voice of Mission Control. Um, <laughs> and other than a few other voices that you hear over the radio or sort of automated voices, there's no one else in this movie. Right. And not only that, they're talking into the into the blind most of the time. You know, Houston, you know, they, right, they're the Houston always the blind. there's no right. There's no response. And it's, you a, know? it's a great bit because they have Ed Harris say that we're going to lose signal any time. And then they do. And, you know, the well, I imagine most people in the audience don't know or wouldn't weren't previously familiar with the term in the blind. But, you know, you just figure it out by context if you haven't heard it before. Right. I think one of the smartest decisions they made in the whole movie is to kill Clooney off early. You know, like yeah. it it's um you don't see it coming. Um, you know, he's such a big star and it, it really allows you to kind of focus the movie, you know, down to just this point of Sandra Bullock slash Doctor Stone's survival. You know, and everything right. else kind of falls to the wayside. And she's literally the last person in orbit. Like, everyone else has left. Like, they've left the ISS. They've left the Tiangong, the Chinese station. You know, she's the only right. person left in space. Right. And uh, her and the scallions growing on the, uh, <laughs> the Chinese station. <laughs> Unless that was grass, or I don't know. Might have been yeah. But you know, it's nice though. It's nice that they have that there because you know the movie has got such an incredibly hard technological edge. Like I remember being very, very aware of whatever that plant was growing in those little boxes on the station there. Yeah. Um, you know, and the movie has kind of like a, a kinetic uh, freneticism that's really, really hard to beat. Like some of the camera work in this is just amazing as you sort of follow her sort of crawling over, you know, the ISS or the surface of the Chinese station, sort of grabbing handholds, flipping over, sort of struggling with her momentum. Um, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I, it's really kind of, it's breathtaking. You really feel like the, the element of danger and risk. And you kind of feel like, you know, you could have just gone flying off that thing into space, never to be seen or heard from again. The camera and the point of view is everywhere and constantly in motion throughout most of the movie. And every space scene looks like you, you, when you watch, you really have no idea how they did it. It's quite it's remarkable. It's, it's you know, it's, and it's a good use of CG. You know what I'm saying? Like the CG yeah. in this is not obnoxious. Like, like it's so natural looking even though it's moving fast and the camera's doing impossible movements uh it's yeah. it's so natural and everything looks so real you know like we've all seen for years and years and years now film aboard the shuttle or film aboard the iss and you know like the shuttle and the iss look incredibly interesting but they don't look particularly inviting you know what i'm saying like they don't look like they're comfortable yeah. or fun places they look like they're incredibly interesting and that's kind of the feeling that they capture in this um i don't know if you know this but i've been down at in um, at houston at johnson space center they have iss mocked up they've got a a full mock-up of it pretty much. And I've actually been mm -hmm. through that. Like I've been in the actual mock-up that they use to test stuff on the ground. And like, you know, like when you're in there, like it's not cool. Like you're on the enterprise, like it feels very, very like functional and utilitarian. You know what I'm saying? Like a real spaceship yeah. would. And they, they kind of capture that even the way like the door handles and the latches look or the way when she goes through like a junction aboard, 
the ISS or the Chinese station, like, you know, it feels like modules flown up and, you know, hooked together in orbit. Right. Right. It's, there's a little donut. <laughs> right. You got to sail through. Um, you know, and, and Quaron said that he didn't consider it a sci-fi movie. Like he, you know, he, he just kind of, he refused that label on it. I think most people would give it that label, but he himself didn't, didn't like that term. I understand what he's saying though, because the, the sci-fi, he, it's the central aspect of the story is about her and about hardship sort of more than more than being a sort of a science fiction central theme. I mean, it drives the story, right? Right. I mean, this is, but, you know, this is, you know, to build a fire. This is 127 hours. This is Castaway, right? right? This is, you know, I don't know if All is Lost, the Robert Redford came out before or after this, but, you know, or, or The Martian, which came out afterwards. You know, this is essentially man right. versus nature. Right. Right, and it happens to just be an extremely unforgiving version of nature, you know. But, but like for example, it's hard to watch this and not think about two thousand one. Whereas, but about two thousand one is really about ideas. This movie is about emotions in a way that two thousand. This is almost like the mathematical inverse of two thousand and one. Yep. Right, this movie is That's about true. her sort of emotional struggle and her desperation and her fear. You know, and her recovery from the, the loss of her kid and all that. Yeah. That's that's well put. Yeah, I mean, 2001 is it's so uh, uh, restrict. It's so sort of distant and confusing and cool. It, right. It's chilly. And, you know, I mean, like I've said before, I mean, the movie ends with a floating space embryo. <laughs> the um, greatest ending ever, by the way. <laughs> I, like I'm yep. being literal, like but, greatest ending ever. But, but uh, yep, right. But you know, like, but, and this does the exact opposite. Like, this has like right. a very, very warm ending with her sort of barefoot in the sort of mud, sort of like almost being reborn. I guess she's you know, you know, like both movies end with right. a baby. You could you could say you know she's basically right. birthed at the end of this. You know, from the from the yes. water, she takes like her and, she, and then she's sort of stands for the first time almost like she's regaining her humanity right, right. you know she sort of stands and takes a step a wobbly step because she's back in gravity and a big breath yeah yeah and so right exactly the opposite where there's almost there's just um symphonic music and a glowing floating baby <laughs> it's, it's pretty I mean, the scale is completely different, right? Right. Whereas so, this is uh, this is very, very small scale compared to intimate. very, very big. Right. I mean, you're basically there with her on this great adventure. Uh, and adventure right. being defined as something bad happening that you didn't plan for. Um, Although the tone, I have to say, it's it's very grim. You know, I mean, like Castaway is... It has, I mean, Castaway is disturbing in some ways, but it's, you, it, it carries you along and it has, it has light moments and it's sort of entertaining as it goes, right? And this movie is just tense and 
relentless and sort of unpleasant yeah in many ways right? yeah, i would often say it was unpleasant but i mean like i i i really enjoyed being along for the ride in this one i saw this in the theater twice like i saw it by mm. myself came home you know told some people about it and we went back the next day and really really it was just as good the second time but it's too bad you never saw it on the big screen yeah um and it also, uh, I mean, I, I'm not a 3D maven by a long by a long shot. In fact, I'm kind of, I would say, a 3D skeptic. Um, but I guess this movie, if you're going to have a 3D movie, this might be a right. good one. Something like this or Dread, I guess. Um, there's a when when she when she tries to kill herself when she turns off the oxygen essentially and gets hypercapnic. Um, yeah. You know, when I was in the theater, when Clooney showed up, I got so pissed off, you know, and I, I was <laughs> fooled like everybody else. And I was like, I was like, wow, they were doing so well up until this moment, you know, <laughs> and then Clooney magically appears to, to right. save her. And I was like, literally, I got kind of like boiling mad for a few minutes when I was watching and thinking like, what an incredible misstep. And then, you know, like I said, I was totally fooled. And when it's, you know, when it, it's realized that she's uh, just hallucinating him. I thought right. that that was a brilliant way to kind of use Clooney in just a sort of a short focused way and then allow you to very, very quickly refocus on her, never, ever to bring your attention back to Clooney. Right. No, that that was really good. You know, and I. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, my. I thought that was sort of the high point of her struggle in some ways was when when she sort of imagines Clooney and he gives her a kick in the pants, you know, to, to keep going. The part I did like was it gets a little sanctimonious when she decides when she recommits again after recommitting with Clooney to keep going and says, you know, I'm either going to burn up or not. And I'm just, oh, yeah, it's she just does a that great little monologue at the end before she reenters. Yeah. That was a little, that was, that was too much. I like it. I like it when she, when she just kind of grimly keeps going and maybe the only scene where she's doubting things is the one with Clooney because she can't see a way out, but then she kind of is semi-conscious and she's floating and she thinks of a way, you know, she comes up with a, with a way that she can use the, the, the landing jets to keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. So she thinks of a way, another, a way out when she basically forgot about that or didn't realize it until she was sort of semi-conscious. Right. And it and, came back maybe, um, and she let her guard down enough to remember a little bit, or the panic was distant enough that she could maybe access the knowledge she had about that. Um, right. When she is, by the way, there's a great bit when she's on the ISS and there's the fire. Um, yeah. She uses the, she attempts to put out the fire with a fire extinguisher and it blows her back which is a little bit of a right. foreshadowing to how she's going to get to the Chinese station at the end. And when she's right. getting ready to jump out uh, of the, of the Soyuz to get to the Chinese station, she sees the fire extinguisher and sort of like, aha. And she grabs it. Like it's, it's a little bit hard to believe that, but it's a great bit. Like it's a really great bit. I was right. wondering would that fire extinguisher just explode if it was exposed to vacuum. You know what I'm saying? Like would the nozzle just come yeah. flying off. Um, <laughs> But uh, well, it looks, my, it looks my, great. Uh, my question is when she lets Clooney go, when they're tethered together, why didn't she just reel him in? 
Well, like, you know, why did he have to? But if if you read really... online, though, if there is one scene in the movie that people criticize, it is that. Like, yeah, and it, and it's very much just sort of a dramatic device to get Clooney out of there, um, so that the right. movie can really be about what it's about, which is her. But. Yeah. Like that is kind of like the one big sticking point. I mean, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, like king of nitpicks had a million concerns about the, you know, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not talking about that sort of complaint because I can just ignore that. Um, but like from a film point of view, people did not like the way Clooney went because it, there's too many ways that they could have potentially saved him or, or he could have been like, you know, Oh yeah, I'll just pull me up. You know, I'm yeah. at the end of this line. Um, yeah, I, you know when I was watching it again because I hadn't seen it for a while and I just rewatched it. Um, I kind of thought that he might die when they were trying to get there and would sort of like fling her forward or whatever. Which would like have also been acceptable, to, right? And I I forgot about that sort of end of the line, "Let me go" thing, and I thought maybe he was just going to say like. You know, I'm going to puncture my suit so you can, we'll use that for the final thrust or something. I couldn't the remember, but I was that thinking. Is, though, then it's not her sort of saving herself. You know, they had to get Clooney out of there. So it was all her, you know, she has to be the instrument of her own salvation. But did you see The Martian? Yeah. Like, and the, I also read it. Yeah, me, me too. But like at the end of The Martian in the movie, I don't remember if this is exactly how it is in the book, but at the end of The Martian in the movie, you know, he punctures his suit so he can use it as a little bit of a jet. And I'm sure in real life, if you punctured your suit in vacuum, you'd be dead in about seven seconds. <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Like, <laughs> Depends like, on how big a hole you make. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, pinhole. like, I just kind of like let it go. Like I didn't let it bug me when I saw it. I was like, well, that's stupid, but whatever. That's just part of how they're doing it, you know? Um, but that's kind of the moment like that here where they are, you know, with the, the Clooney going is just a dramatic device and you just have to accept it and move on. Um, right. You know, I'm going to go on record and say, I like Sandra Bullock. Like, like, I would not have picked her for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, she doesn't come to mind when I think of, like, a science fiction astronaut action film. Um, but she she is the absolute center and core of this movie, and she completely holds up every scene she's in. Yeah. And plus, her, her uh, team of plastic surgeons uh, has a couple credits. <laughs> and digital, <laughs> digital retouchers. <laughs> but, you know, well, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of uncharitable because she is super pretty. Um, no, I know. She doesn't need all that. And, and but she it's really kind of does funny, have yeah. star power. Like, that's not a phrase I use too much. But, like, like, she really does have star power. Like, your eyes watch her, you know, the whole time. And, you know, your, your eyes don't wander from her. Like, she's very, very captivating. Right. You know, like like Katy sure. Perry in the Roar video is another good example. <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking, but I'm not joking so much. Like like that video is in, it's incredibly well made. Like I don't know who directed that video, but it's amazing. But like it's the same thing. Like you're just kind of hypnotized by the actions of the subject. Um, this is that sort of. I think that large. was that was the lost Kubrick music video. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to see who made that video because we, we should, by the way, maybe someday we'll do uh, 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 a podcast about videos, but Katie uh, Pidio Roar Director, uh, that was directed by 
uh, Grady Hall and Mark Cudsey, who I never heard of. But if you ever get a chance, if you haven't seen it, watch that Katy Perry video, Roar. It's another great example of the term star power. But anyway, but back to Sandra Bullock. Um, but, you know, again, like like I, to, to follow up on what I said er- earlier, you know, Clooney has that star power, too. And, you you, you know, you got to get rid of him. Like, you got to, got to, got to get rid of him. You know, and he probably, yeah. by the way, made more money than she did, I bet. I bet he got paid a fortune to be in his couple of scenes. I wonder. I mean, that may be. They may be. I don't know if he was involved in producing and all that stuff or not. Yeah, but, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, whose name comes first in the credits? Actually, her name comes first in the credits. He's second. Um, but I'd be curious. She has a bigger part. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's her movie, but but he's he's arguably a yeah. bigger star. Um this thing, by the way, speaking of money, this thing made a fortune. This thing made $700 million on a $100 million budget. And by the way, it's amazing that they got this done for $100 million. I know. But but you got, to be fair, it's $100 million in 1982 dollars because that's when they started. <laughs> there was some inflation. Um you know, it's it's interesting too because it's a you know most movies that feature astronauts make you want to be an astronaut. This movie did not make people want to be an astronaut. <laughs> you know, this movie made you want to kind of stay home. <laughs> right. You know, it's this a lot more boring in my basement, uh, but there's a lot of air here. <laughs> Scrabble, anyone? <laughs> um, you know, uh, we've mentioned several times in this podcast, Children of Men, and. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but Quaron, same guy, made it. And if yeah. you look on lists of, like, for example, top sci-fi films of this century, like, they always put Children of Men, like, in the top two or three. Like, I think I'm going to try to watch Children of Men before our next podcast. I can't remember if I've seen it or not. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I mean, I just, I feel like I keep running into it from a million directions. So I'm going to resolve here and now on the podcast to watch Children of Men. But that's that's made by the same guy. Uh, and I guess uh, right. he also had some other, I guess he made one of the Harry Potter movies, which was probably his first big exposure to uh, big, big movies after his smaller Mexican films. Right. Um, and he made a couple other um, ones, I think, that were relatively well he known. made i think he uh i think he had something to do with pan's labyrinth Itumama Tambien. yeah which you know i have to tell you Itumama i Tambien saw i saw Itumama Tambien, and i cannot remember it for the life of me i saw it when it came out in the theaters me and either. i cannot remember it at all um although it's I, I it's funny because it does have a scene where the space shuttle blows up in it i i looked that up i didn't remember that <laughs> but there's apparently a scene in the, where the space shuttle blows up um i just have to say that their space shuttle looked incredible i mean there is no uh there is no space shuttle uh with the name that they have in this i think they call it the space shuttle explorer there is no space shuttle explorer and they give it a fictitious sts number sts 157 but i mean the way that they reproduced all of this hardware, like even the way that the Hubble telescope is mounted to the shuttle in the opening scene. I mean, I mean the amount of detail that they got right in this is it's just, it's breathtaking. Hmm. I don't, I mean, they had some good, uh, 
They had time and good technical advisors, yeah. I guess. I don't know if there's a lot that they got wrong in this movie. You know, and I I always get nervous as the end of the movie comes. Like, I always worry that they're going to blow the ending. And a lot of movies do, or like they back off or they water it down or they somehow chicken out. And like, they really got the ending right in this. Like, her ride down in the, uh, the, the Shenzhou capsule is really, really intense and you know you cannot help but be reminded while you watch it of the footage of the columbia coming down over texas um yeah and i'm sure that they took some inspiration from the way that that looked but that scene the way you know even the way that they have the capsule sort of right itself based on its shape and the way that the scene where the parachute deploys and then you know you've got the false ending where you think she's safe and then she almost drowns because when when the water started coming in i immediately thought her helmet's not on like the scoop's gonna fill with water, and then that's exactly what yeah, happened. And for Gus Grissom, for yeah, no, I had the same thought. And for me, that's actually the scariest part of the whole movie is when not all the space stuff, but when she's when her suit fills with water and she's drowning. Like that was when I was most sort of afraid for her when I was in the theater. And I actually had the fleeting thought, like they're gonna kill her, like they're really gonna do it. They're gonna have her get all the way home and drown, but they didn't. Uh, spoiler alert. Well- <laughs> no, they did. They did. A, that's something they did really well because you never feel like she's safe until the very last few seconds of the movie. Because I mean, even you know what was terrifying? I thought too was the the couple two or three scenes with debris. I mean, that debris is fast. terrifying as it comes. It's really fast, and there's a lot and of it. And you, you get, and it's random. <laughs> it's so random. You know, it's like. It's it's unstoppable and totally random, right? Tumbling, I mean, jagged pieces of metal, right? Moving at thousands. I mean, in of reality, miles you probably, hour. I mean, you probably wouldn't even see anything, you know, because you kind of see them like flying in, but in reality, it would probably be a couple little, right? You know, glisteny bits, and then you because they're, they're literally. Right, it's so fast, you know. It's it's like ten times the speed of a rifle bullet, you know. Yeah. Um Although, but remember too, I guess it's all relative speed, right? Because they they're yeah, moving fast as well. It's just relative to them, right? But you know, still, like those little paint chips that that cause the dents uh, in the glass. You know the right the windshield craters uh, <laughs> are going at pretty fast relative right, speed, a couple hundred feet per second relative. Um, the other thing that's very right. very frightening is the fire. Right, the the fire yeah. on the ISS, you kind of get this feeling is really out of control, um, and you know could just get you. Like, have you ever read Dragonfly? Um, yeah, because that's about that includes talk of the fire um, on Mir, on Mir right? uh, which you know, you know, even though even though once they got under control, you know, they were breathing soot and smoke for forever after that. You know, like where would it go? Um, and just the idea right. that the fire could consume all the air so quickly. Uh, it's yep. really well done. Um, 
but they got the ending right. Like I said, like I remember, like when I walked out of the theater, like I was really satisfied. Like they just kind of got it right. Like, like in in um, I, I've mentioned it before, but like in in Mad Max Fury Road is another good example of a movie that got the they got it right to the last second. Like the closing sixty seconds of Fury Road is the same thing. Like they just the music is right, the camera's right, the tone is right, and the you know the final shot of him walking away and abandoning everyone to just be by himself again is the perfect ending to that movie. So. Right. But, you know, like it shows you the importance of that last little bit. Yeah. And it wasn't leave them laughing either, which would have been a cop out. You know, they didn't do that. You know, you don't know where she is. Like, is she 50 miles from civilization? Is she 100 miles? Like, where is she? Right. I, I kind she's of interpreted. She's just in better shape than she was in space. Right. I kind of know? interpreted as she's in China. Like, that's yeah. my impression is that the the Shenzhou is going to probably try to, you know, I don't know, the, the station is probably orbiting over China or deorbits over China. I mean, I could be wrong, but my my gut was that she's in China somewhere, but she could be anywhere. You know, she could be in the Soviet Union. She could be, you know. It's totally anywhere. random. Yeah. Australia. Right. Wherever the thing happened to come down. By the way, she's lucky she didn't land in the ocean. Yeah. Considering it's most of the Earth's <laughs> right, surface, I mean, point. she could have end- <laughs> She could have landed where the, you know, Malaysian Airlines flight was, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the South Indian Ocean, you know, like never to be found. Beep, 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 glug, glug, glug. <laughs> that, that would have been some ending. <laughs> Eaten by sharks. Or she could have hit uh, MH370 on the way down. That would have explained it. <laughs> we shouldn't joke. That's terrible. That's, that's uh, terrible. We shouldn't joke. Oh, it's awful. Uh, any other thoughts? I don't know. Like this is a. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to finally do this one. I really, really, I really like this movie, and uh, I don't know. I've seen it now three or four times, and it 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 holds up tremendously well. Like I think that this will be a good movie to watch in twenty or thirty years. Like this is going to look good in twenty or thirty years. I think so, and um, maybe by then people will like 3D. <laughs> well, you know, sorry, I I don't <laughs> dislike it. But I, I wear glasses, you know, and like I think that if you don't wear glasses, the 3D is more fun. Whereas if you're if you wear glasses, then you're wearing the 3D glasses over your own glasses, and you're I'm very very aware of that, and it takes me out of the movie. So I usually pick the 2D when I go to the theater. Yeah, I I well for I wear fit overs when I'm driving or whatever because I'm a hundred, so. <laughs> Just because I like the look. What's a fit over? I don't even know what that is. You know, they're those, 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 uh, you know, like the old man sunglasses that you wear on top of your glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's bad. (laughs) Styling. Uh, Well, you know, like I just saw um, Blade Runner 2049, which we previously discussed, and I purposely saw that in the 2D. Um, Yeah, I I never really watch anything in 3D. All right, man. Should we wrap there? Yep. All right. We'll Someday see you guys. Someday they'll remake like Citizen Citizen Kane in 3D, by the way. <laughs> what would be the worst oh, 3D? Like, just last thing. What would be the worst 3D movie ever? <laughs> My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> right. Oh, that's really good. All right. I think we have a winner. Uh, my dinner with Andre. In <laughs> Inconceivable. <3D>. Just, <laughs> right. It's, it's his nose hairs in 3D. <laughs> Wallace Shawn in your lap. Wallace. 
<laughs> oh my god the grand yeah. by the way Wallace. just to, since it all comes back to star trek he played the grand nagus on deep space nine he was the leader of the ferengi <laughs> in a truly inspired casting oh and on that note <laughs> Uh, you managed to get us. You managed to go from my dinner with Andre to Deep Space right, to the, Nine. To that the was the good. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. a new love. We'll end there. All right. Good night. Good night, <laughs> everybody. See ya.